Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. As we record this, the governments of the world's largest economies are pretty unhappy with each other. We've already seen American tariffs on steel and aluminium, and it looks like more are on the way. The ones we're going to focus on in this episode are coming on July 6th, when the US is promising tariffs on Chinese imports worth $34 billion in 2018. There's no knowing with the Trump administration, and so maybe there'll be some kind of deal before then and we'll all be able to sleep easy. For now, I'm fairly pessimistic. It looks like the tariffs are coming. The Trump administration claims it's doing all of this as part of some longer-term strategy that's going to benefit Americans. We're not going to talk about that today, though you could listen to our first full episode of Trade Talks about that, as well as episodes 32, 33, 41. In this episode, we're going to explain why some Americans are fairly upset about all this. And we'll do so with the help of Mary Lovely, one of Chad's colleagues at the Peterson Institute, and one of mine, Simon Rabinovich, who is The Economist's China economics editor. So on June 15th, we got the final list of products that the Trump administration has said that it's going to hit with their first round of tariffs. And so for me, this meant a fun day of number crunching with a couple of my colleagues at the Peterson Institute, Eugene Young and Lucy Liu. We found that the products affected by these tariffs were 95% in capital equipment and intermediate inputs. So these are things that include the word parts in their product description. So parts of airplanes, parts of printers, other parts not elsewhere classified, you get the idea. Clearly, it's not the fact that prices are going up that's bad in and of itself, because by that logic, low prices would be good, and you could get that by simply banning exports and flooding your domestic market with cheap stuff that you're not going to be able to sell anywhere else in the world. The point here in the US-China case is that there's going to be winners and losers from these price changes. The winners in this case being the folks who make the stuff that China sells, who now face less competition because the Chinese imports aren't going to be coming in. But the losers, the consumers of these products, they lose by even more than those winners. All of this is to say this is a very standard economic result. You could surely build an economic model where there would be other sorts of outcomes, but this is the general way that economists think of these types of policies. Companies are complaining about this for various reasons. The first one being that the tariffs, which are a tax on the imports, mean that they face extra costs that their competitors overseas do not. When you look at the data on this, so if you look at the statistics that the WTO provides, the the tariffs on the products that countries actually apply, everyone imposes higher tariffs on final goods and lower tariffs on these intermediate goods and capital equipment. And you can interpret that as what countries are generally trying to do as lure in these cheap inputs to do the additional value added at home. Here, what the Trump administration is doing is exactly the opposite. They're seeking to impose higher tariffs on the intermediate inputs and the capital goods, making it more expensive for companies to actually add that value added in America. Now, tariffs are a tax and they impose costs on Chinese exporters too. They find it more difficult to get their stuff into America. They might have to lower their prices as a result, maybe. But it's worth pointing out that many of these Chinese exporters are actually subsidiaries of American companies. 
when you put tariffs on these intermediate products, you're taxing companies as they try to move their stuff within their own company. My colleague Mary Lovely has tried to quantify how important this is. And what she's done is looked at the fraction of Chinese exports that are coming into the United States by non-Chinese companies. Here's Mary. We've looked at the data, and we find that primarily it is not Chinese domestic companies that will be hurt by the tariffs. Instead, we find that it is American, European, Japanese multinationals that are operating in China and selling back to the United States. That is, the tariffs are placed on goods that are then further processed into goods that are sold inside the American market or are exported by American-based companies. The latest revisions really doubled down on the extent to which these tariffs hit these supply chains for American-based production. Mary looked at the inputs going into electrical equipment and found that 60% of the U.S. imports from China, in fact, did not come from Chinese companies. They came from multinationals. And in a sector like computer and electronic products, it's even higher. 87% of the U.S. imports coming in of those things are not coming in from Chinese companies. They're coming in from American, Japanese, Korean, European, lots of multinationals, but they're not Chinese. So that's why it's strange to tax inputs. That being said, the Trump administration has seemed to double down on that strategy. So on their June 15th announcement, they included another set of products that they're adding to this list that they're proposing for new tariffs. And the major new additions there are things like plastics and semiconductors. Semiconductors are these little gadgets that are needed in smartphones and computers, TVs, electronics that end up in automobiles. Here, what the Trump administration is trying to do is it's trying to block a Chinese industrial policy, this thing called Made in China 2025. The Chinese want to increase their competitiveness in the semiconductors sector and develop it. And so one reading of this inclusion of semiconductors is that the Americans are saying, no, no, uh, we're going to block you exporting to us uh, to damage your industry. But the semiconductors industry say that the chips are actually designed and made in America, and they're only sent to China for really low value-added labor-intensive assembly and testing. Because the Chinese are trying to gain competitiveness, but they're not there yet, the Trump administration might have other tools to deal with this. For now, the Trump administration is just taxing the American semiconductors companies who are outsourcing to Asia, as they have been doing for decades. One conspiracy theory for why it is that the Trump administration is doing this is they actually want to punish companies that have set up their supply chains in China and are sharing their technology, like in semiconductors, with the Chinese. And if you look at other products on this list, some of them do seem to tie in with this idea that they're meant to challenge China's industrial policy. Others are just a bit confusing. So there's scotch tape and, and water filters and plastic straws on the list. So, so I spoke to the Retail Industry Leaders Association, which represents a lot of the big retailers, and, and they were pleased that dishwashers and TV screens had been removed from the first list, but they were certainly a bit confused as to how these, these other products were included. They were also a bit worried about the practical implications of, of how they would respond to this. So for many of these things that are being shipped over from China, the profit margins are really thin. They're not making very much money on this, and certainly not enough to be able to absorb a 25% tariff. 
Some companies I know have been looking into bringing in products by air, but bringing stuff in by plane before the tariffs come in is expensive. It's not necessarily worth it for something heavy like a like a water fountain or something. And it's already too late to get stuff by boat from China to the US to miss the July 6th deadline. And for these multinational companies that, that want to try to avoid these tariffs, it's also not easy for them to rejigger their supply chains. A lot of these products have to satisfy regulatory or product safety standards that require all sorts of testing. They may need to get certified. It's not as if they can simply pick up and move somewhere else without having to go through this process again. And if they do, it's not necessarily going to be the case that they might do so back in the United States. They might choose to open up a new plant in some other country instead. So far, it looks like the members of the Trump administration who've been picking these lists have at least been trying to minimize the impact on American consumers. There seems to be some kind of strategy. But on June 19th, we got word that the Trump administration was upping its threats. It said that if the Chinese hit back, and the Chinese have said that they would, then they would increase the amount of the tariff to cover $200 billion or even $400 billion. Once you get to those amounts, all of this question of which products should be hit starts to look quite irrelevant because you are essentially increasingly hitting everything. The United States imported $505 billion worth of goods from China in 2017. Stuff that got removed from the first list, cash registers, embroidery machines, color TV screens, dishwashers, that could all be back in the firing line. One interesting difference is if the Trump administration does actually end up applying tariffs to this extra $200 billion or $400 billion worth of imports is the size of the tariff that they would impose on those. Here, they're going with 10% as opposed to 25% on the first $50 billion of imports. So to summarize what we have so far, the first $50 billion worth of tariffs are covering mostly intermediate inputs and capital equipment. And users of those do not like it. The U.S. tariffs are hitting mostly non-Chinese firms, so the subsidiaries of American companies and the companies of allies. And generally, it could just be very difficult for companies to deal with this, and so we may see price rises and, and general economic pain. Okay, so next we should talk about the Chinese retaliation, because the Chinese came out very, very quickly and said, if you hit us, we'll hit back. Already we know what's in China's retaliation list, so it's a lot of agricultural products, soybeans, pork, fruits and nuts. Chinese consumers are huge consumers of American agricultural goods. The U.S. agricultural lobbies are already trying to fight back against this, trying to explain to the Trump administration just how costly this is expected to be for them. They're going to be making a lot of noise politically before the U.S. midterm elections. The other thing that the Chinese are targeting is energy or oil. And this is important because it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about how China was agreeing to potentially buy more of these products from the United States, more energy products, more agricultural products. All of a sudden, within a matter of days, we've gone from China perhaps buying $70 billion more of U.S. exports to now all of a sudden them buying much, much less because of their potential 25% retaliatory tariffs. And to be clear, Chad and I are not endorsing a state of the world where China and America agree agricultural trade at the you know ministerial level. That's not that's not a great world. The point is just to illustrate the contrast between how these American exporters felt only a few weeks ago and 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 what they're worried about now. I asked my colleague Simon Rabinovich about the other ways that the Chinese could hit back against America's economic interests. 
The first thing that China can do beyond tariffs is to implement non-tariff barriers. Uh, and these are often undeclared, but they can also be extremely effective in, in hitting targets. So we've actually seen bits of that already uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, China has really stepped up inspections of U.S. pork shipments. Uh, it's also held up some shipments of bourbon. Um, and these in the short term are equivalent to basically a 100% tariff in that it stops the product from entering China full stop. Now, China buys only about $130 billion worth of U.S. goods, but it also buys roughly $50 billion worth of U.S. services, and those purchases have been increasing quickly. Uh, what that means in concrete terms is that more and more Chinese tourists have been going to the U.S., and more and more Chinese students have been going to the U.S. as well. Uh, and China is able to, if not stop its people from going to the U.S., uh, to certainly divert a chunk of them away from the U.S. for a period of time, uh, if it so chooses. This is a tactic that China has regularly employed um, when it's gotten into disputes with other countries. Uh, in the past couple of years, both Taiwan and South Korea have been on the receiving end, especially uh, of uh, effective tourist embargoes. Now, Chinese people are relatively free to decide where they want to go, where they want to study, uh, but the government can really tip the scales. Um, so for tourism, a lot of the tourism out of China uh, is group tourism, uh, and China can effectively order uh, its tourist agencies to no longer offer group tours to America. Um, for students who are going to America, they will learn about the application process through uh, different information sessions. China can stop U.S. universities from offering those kinds of information sessions. Uh, it can encourage high schools and universities to steer their students towards other countries. You know, Harvard and Yale are still going to get plenty of Chinese applicants, uh, but the numbers could really begin to drop off, especially for second uh, and third tier U.S. universities. The, the next big obvious target for China would be U.S. companies in China. Um, now, let's be clear, of course, there's lots of complaints about access to the Chinese market, but it has actually been extremely profitable um, for many American firms. Um, so just to give you a few examples, I mean, depending on the quarter, China is the biggest market for iPhones. Uh, General Motors sells more cars in China than they do in the U.S., um, Starbucks is opening a cafe here roughly once every 15 hours. This is by far their most important growth market. There's lots that can be done to, to mess with the operations of these and other American firms in China. Um, China's legal system is, of course, quite immature. There's lots of gray areas, uh, and the government can really exploit that as, as the trade war escalates. Um, we could begin to see uh, much more aggressive enforcements of health and safety regulations um, as, it, as they pertain to American firms here. Um, they could also be hit with all kinds of labor code and even fire code violations um, that they weren't previously aware of or that weren't previously being uh, properly enforced. The government can also use uh, state-owned media uh, as, a, as a weapon as the trade war escalates, and they can do that in a couple of ways. Um, they could basically order television stations to stop accepting advertising from U.S. firms. Um, some, in fact, have reported off the record that this is already happening. Um, and they could also use uh, news media to uh, report about consumer concerns um, as they uh, pertain to, uh, to different U.S. products. 
And, you know, effectively, this would be an undeclared war to, to hinder U.S. companies in the Chinese market and ultimately to cut their market share, which uh, for the U.S. companies involved is something that would be really a long-term concern because, you know, whereas tariffs can effectively be unwound overnight, the uh, damage that would be done to their uh, brands and to their market share in China uh, is something that they might not ever be able to recover from. So it's potentially several orders of magnitude more serious. Finally, at the extreme end, I think you could also see China whipping up wholesale consumer boycotts uh, of U.S. brands or even protests against them. This, again, is something that China has experience in. Um, two recent examples, uh, back in 2012, when China nationalized um, a few small islands, uh, or as some might say rocks, in the East China Sea, um, there was uh, a frenzy of consumer boycotts against Japanese products. Toyota and Honda both saw their sales plunge. Uh, last year, um, again, South Korea, this was something that they were on the receiving end of um, with the installation of the, uh, the anti-missile shield. Um, China turned against its products. Uh, sales for brands like Hyundai plunged. Uh, Latte Group, which is a big South Korean chain of supermarkets, was uh, ultimately forced to leave the country because their market share had so shriveled up. Now, boycotts would not be watertight. There are a lot of Chinese consumers uh, who like their iPhones and their Starbucks, regardless of what's happening uh, in the world of global trade. But they could be big enough to cause a lot of damage for these brands. Um, so, uh, as I say, it's, it's not something to be dismissed. And that is all for Trade Talks. I am Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to crazy trade war weeks, when we thought the story was going to be one thing, but then it turned out to be something different, two is better than one. If it's only two, then, then I'll, I'll take that.